I hope you've been enjoying this series, and today uh, we're going to get into a ton of Scripture. So if you are here last week, we got into a lot of Scripture. This week's the same. So if you're one of those people that likes to take notes, good luck with that. Uh, it's going to be hard to, to keep up today. But remember, all this is at pursuegod.org forward slash Trinity. Uh, so if you go to that, we're on lesson four today. In fact, you can pull that up on your phone if you'd like. Um, God is watching if you play Angry Birds instead. Um, but, but that's where you can find all of our scripture because today, uh, in, in, in week number four, we're going to be covering this third thing here on our checklist. So if you want to really understand an orthodox, the orthodox doctrine of the Trinity, you need to understand these three statements, okay? There is one God. There's just one God. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. We don't believe there's more than one God. There's one God. You're not him. Uh, you will never be a God. You were never a God. God was never like you. God has always existed in this mysterious, paradoxical way that we've been studying in this series. One being, three persons. That's the second point. God exists in three persons. That, that's what we looked at last week. One of the things we learned last week, and this is really helpful, is the the persons of the Trinity relate differently to us. Like, remember last week we talked about in salvation, God the Father initiated the plan of salvation. God the Son went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. The Father didn't go to the cross. You know, when people say, I, don't, I still don't understand it. In the first service, a couple came up to me. The husband was super excited. The wife was like, I still don't get it. And I just want to say it's okay. You don't have to get it. It, I mean, I think we should be, it's hard for us as Americans to be comfortable with paradox. It's hard for us to be comfortable with not fully understanding something, but get used to it because God's better than you. He's bigger than you. He's different than you. You've never met anyone like God. And, and so God, this is what I love about this whole series. I just love the fact that there's this unresolved tension. I was at, we were at, din, at lunch last week after last week's sermon talking about the three persons. We were at lunch with my my, my in-laws, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law. So, so, so someone would say, so see, you're wrong. And you're right, modalism is wrong. God doesn't, God doesn't exist in different modes where he's sometimes in the mode of father, sometimes in the mode of son, sometimes in the mode of Holy Spirit. And my mother-in-law last week said, that's dumb. I love the water analogy. And I'm gonna keep using it. I'm like, but, but, but like, all the church fathers and great theologians for 2,000 years. She's like, oh, those guys. Who cares what those guys say? <laughs> so some, some of you might still have the, my mother-in-law's perspective on the whole thing, that you're, you're just like, this is, you know, this is dumb. Why do, we, why do we care? What is, you know, let's just still use these simplistic understandings. Here's what I would say. That's fine. We don't burn heretics at the stake anymore, at least here at Alpine. We don't do that. Um, she wouldn't have fared so well. 2,000 years ago, but, but right now she's fine, whatever. But what I would say to you, if that's you, if you're like, that describes me, I would just say to you, keep reading God's word and keep allowing God to reveal himself to you. I, 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 and I think you're gonna see that today as we look at this third thing today. We're gonna let scripture speak for itself. In fact, some of you are thinking about getting that five verses PDF and handing it out to your friends, but you're afraid to, I know some of you, you're afraid to because you don't know what to do next. Like if they ask you follow-up questions about it, you'd be like, I don't, I don't know. I, he's not water. He's not an egg. He's not an apple. But I don't, I don't, you know, some of you, I get it. Some of you are like that. Here's what I would say to you. Don't worry about it. Don't, 
you don't have to try to un- explain God. Let God's word do that. Point people to scripture. That's what I'm going to do for you today. I'm going to point you to scripture. I'm going to show you a ton of scripture. Literally, we have 29 slides today as we go through this lesson on the fact that each person is fully God. Jesus is fully God. The Father is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Some people think that Jesus is like JV God. He's kind of God. He's almost God, but he's not fully God. The Father is fully God. No, no. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all fully God. And that's what we're going to look at today. At the heart of this doctrine is this claim that all three persons are fully God. Okay, a lot of scripture. Don't try to write it down. You can find it online if you want to look at all the references for this. Let's start with the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I want to start with the Holy Spirit instead of the Father is because we don't even have to show you scripture for the Father because that's never been a debate. Nobody, Nobody in Christian history ever said, I don't think the Father is fully God. That's not how, everyone understands the Father's fully God. The question is, is the Holy Spirit fully God? And is Jesus fully God? And I want to show you from Scripture that yes, they're both fully God. Here's how we're going to do this today. I'm a math guy. Some of you are more soft science people, but I'm a math guy. So any people who love math, you're going to love today's lesson because we're going to be very logical. um, And we're going to walk through this um, using, using, kind of like proving a theorem in geometry, okay? Let's start with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has all the attributes of God. As we look at Scripture and we see the Holy Spirit, as we allow God to reveal himself in Scripture, we see these attributes of God that are attributes that only God has, then one of the conclusions that we're building toward is, well, the Holy Spirit must be God, right? Because he has all the attributes of God. In fact, we're gonna see also today that the Bible clearly equates the Spirit with God, and then we're going to do that for Jesus as well. You ready for this? Okay, buckle up. Here we go. The Bible describes the Spirit as having qualities that only God has. Qualities like these four on the on the left. Etern- he's eternal. He's omnipresent, which means he's always everywhere, which is only a God thing. You're not omnipresent. Some of you teenagers might think your parents are omnipresent, but they're not. There's an app for that. And so then he's, he's all-knowing and he's all-powerful. Okay, so again, these, things on, these are just four examples. We could do more, but we don't have time. These are four examples of qualities of God that as we read Scripture, they're attributed to the Holy Spirit so that, in my mind, that means the Holy Spirit is God. The angels aren't all-knowing, omnipresent. Moses wasn't all-knowing, omnipresent. Only the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are these things. Therefore, the Bible is claiming that Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all fully God. Okay, so let's look at the scripture real quick. The Holy Spirit is eternal. Hebrews 9, 14, for by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. One of my hopes is as we go through these passages, you're gonna learn the skill of reading scripture and paying more attention to it. Because now when you read, the, I'm reading through, how many of you are reading through the Bible in a year with the Logan campus? Raise your hand. That's right. God's watching. He loves you people who are raising your hands right now. I'm reading with you as well. It's not too late to join. I, I'm excited to read the entire Bible in a year with this campus. And I, this is, what's good about this is you're going to, when you come across these verses in your readings later in the year, I want you to remember this. And you're going to see more of this 
pay attention when you read scripture for words like this that point to these truths that you might otherwise have missed. So the Holy Spirit is eternal. Only God is eternal, so the Holy Spirit is God. How about omnipresent? Psalm 139. The psalmist writes, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. So what the psalmist is saying is that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, which is a God thing. And by the way, I have to say this. The, whole, the Spirit is not just like an emanation from God. This, the Holy Spirit is not like, this, like God's Spirit, kind of like you and I have a spirit. The Bible says that we all have a spirit. It's not like that. It's different than that. It, the Holy Spirit is a person. Do you notice we're using this word person? That God exists as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is personal. See what I did there? The Holy Spirit is personal. The Holy Spirit is not just like a, a force that comes out of God. I, I think a lot of Christians miss, kind of miss this. They, they don't understand this. And that's why a lot of Christians, when they talk about the Holy Spirit, they call him an it. The Holy Spirit's not an it. The Holy Spirit's a he. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we should refer to, refer to him like we prefer to Jesus as a him and God the Father as a him. I'm not trying to make a gender statement here. I'm just saying we're using those words because he's personal, because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. So again, some of you are like, man, this is just making my head spin. I don't under, I don't, this seems like too detailed and too specific. Again, I think God will continue to reveal this to you as you, as you study this and as you read scripture. And that's, that's what we see in this next verse. The Holy Spirit is all-knowing, which is a God thing. I love this verse, 1 Corinthians 2.10. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. And it says, for his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Someone asked me after the first service, what, is the Holy, what does the Holy Spirit do for me? Because he's, he's trying to, he says, I'm trying to learn how to thank God and thank the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what are some of the things I should thank the Holy Spirit for in my life? And this is a great example. You should thank the Holy Spirit for revealing things to you. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that allows us to understand the persons of the Trinity. I'll say that again. That's tweetable. The Holy, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that helps us to understand the persons of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit unlocks these mysteries of God, these secrets of God. The Holy Spirit's the one who does that. So the Holy Spirit moves in us. Have you ever, have you ever just been uh, you know, reading Scripture and all of a sudden you, you read something, this happens to me all the time, you read something that you never really understood before and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I think I get it. That's, you, you know what just happened right there? The Holy Spirit opened your understanding to understand this, this thing of this deeper thing of God. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does because the Holy Spirit is all-knowing, because the Holy Spirit is God. And then number four, the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. The angel replied, Luke 1, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the point here, and these are just four examples, is that these are, these are qualities that only God has and yet they're ascribed to the Holy Spirit, which is proof that the Holy Spirit is fully God, not just a force that emanates from God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Now, there's one more scripture I want to show you 
that actually clearly equates the Spirit with God. And maybe you've read this in Acts chapter 5, and you, and you missed it. And so I want to show this to you today. This is the story in the early church where uh, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a home, or they sold some property, and they brought the money to, to Peter to give to the church, but they lied about how much they were bringing. They said they were bringing all of it, but they only brought some of it. Okay, this is a great money sermon topic, by the way. This would be a great thing um, to talk about when you're, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're, we're actually going to pick up on something that Peter says here that shows that Peter clearly understood that the Holy Spirit is God. Peter said to Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? He said, you lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. And then he said in the next verse, how could you do a thing like this? Now pay attention to this. Look at what Peter says. You weren't lying to us, but to God. So in verse 3, Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 4, he gets more specific and he says, you lied to God. What is Peter saying? Peter's saying the Holy Spirit is God. And so as we read scripture and we come across passages like this, it helps us to understand, oh wow, the Holy Spirit is not just a force that emanates from God, the Holy Spirit is fully God. So that's the Holy Spirit. Now let's talk about Jesus. The biblical writers claim that Jesus is fully equal to the Father. So we're going to do the same thing. We're going to show you a ton of scripture real fast that show, that's just evidence that the biblical writers understood that Jesus is fully equal to the Father. And then I want to end with a passage that some of you might be familiar with where Jesus himself claims to be fully equal to God. Okay? This is really important, and we'll end today's message with why this even matters, because again, this feels a little bit like seminary to some of you, or maybe it feels even worse, it feels like math class to some of you, but hang in there, because it really does impact our everyday lives. All right, so just like we did with the Holy Spirit, let's do it for Jesus. The Bible describes Jesus as having these qualities that only God has. Only God can create the world. Only God can forgive sin, only God can judge humanity, and only God can provide salvation. But yet we're going to see that Jesus does all these things in these verses. Okay, Creating the world, Colossians 1. For through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. What does scripture say? Who did that? Jesus. How could Jesus do that if Jesus isn't fully God? You know, these... We've got these YouTube videos on, this, on the Trinity series, and the channel's kind of blown up with comments because people are dumb. Can I just say that? People are dumb. There are, like, if you want to see all the crazies, put a video out there on the Trinity, and you're going to attract the crazy. So some of these people that are commenting on the channel are saying things like, I don't understand, how could you say this? And my response, to, when they're saying there's only one God, they're essentially saying God the Father is God. My response to all of them is the same. Then who's Jesus? Who, who is Jesus to you? If you think that there's only one person of the Trinity, They'll say, there is, I, there's only one God, Deuteronomy 6.4. I said, yes, there is only one God, but this one God exists in three persons. Because otherwise, you're worshiping someone who's not worthy of worship, which is what we're going to get to. Your Jesus is the wrong Jesus. It's really important for us to understand these passages and what the Bible is clearly revealing about Jesus, because this stuff matters for your salvation. 
So through Jesus, God created everything. And then how about forgiving sin? I love this story in Matthew 9. It, it says, some people brought to Jesus a paralyzed man on a mat, and Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. I love this passage. I don't know if you know what's happening here. And some of you, maybe if you've watched The Chosen, you saw this. this I think this scene was in The Chosen. It's great. You should watch it if you haven't seen it. But they bring this guy to Jesus, and all these Pharisees and all these people are there, his disciples are there, all these people are surrounding, and they're waiting to see if Jesus is going to heal the guy, and instead of healing the guy, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. It was like he was poking the bear, because who the heck is he to forgive this guy's sins? He's like making this incredibly audacious claim that he can forgive a guy's sins, and by the way, that's not even what he came for. <laughs> he just wanted to be healed. But Jesus used this as a teaching moment. He knew, that, he knew that they, the people, the Pharisees and the religious people and the, and the detractors would have a hard time with that statement. And so he poked the bear and he said, your sins are forgiven. And the, God, and the Pharisees said, who do you think you are? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, right, right, you're right. And I just forgave his sins. What does that mean? Jesus thought he was God. And then if you read the passage, Jesus said, but to prove to you that I have the authority to do this, he looked at the guy and he says, get up, take up your mat and walk. And the guy did. Man, that would be awesome. I wish I was there that day. And Jesus was proving to them two things. Number one, he had authority to heal this man. But number two, that he's God. He's fully God. That's why he said this, because only God can forgive sin. So Jesus created the world, which is a God thing. Jesus forgave sin, which is a God thing. And then Jesus judges humanity. He judges sin. We see this in, in John. Sorry, well, I think we're having a hard time with the clicker. Let's back up just a little. He says this in John, there it is, John 5, 22. The Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. I hope as you read the Gospels and you read Jesus talking about his relationship with the Father, I hope that you can read that and, and enjoy that now instead of feel this tension. What's happening in verses like this is, is the, the person of the Son is talking about the person of the Father, and there's a distinction between their persons. And, and what we learn in this passage is that Jesus has the authority to judge humanity, which is a God thing, which means Jesus is God. One more. Jesus provides salvation. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. We look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Look at what that passage is saying. I mean, it says it right there. Again, as you're reading the Bible this year, some of you, as you're reading through the Bible this year and you come to this passage, I hope, I hope you're reminded of this message today that Jesus is fully God because that's exactly what it's saying. What is that saying? It's saying Jesus Christ is our God and Savior. It doesn't say that Jesus Christ is our JV God and Savior. It says Jesus is our great God and Savior because, hear this, Jesus is fully God. Now there's a passage in Scripture I want to spend a little time on that I love, and some of you maybe have never seen this before. This is probably the first thing, the first story that I think of in the Bible when I think about Jesus' claims to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. C.S. Lewis said it like this, Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. 
but you can't say he's just a good teacher or a good prophet or a moral person because and this story proves it out because Jesus claims in this passage to be God. It says in John 8, 58, Jesus is speaking of this crowd. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. In fact, I want to read to you what, hap- what he says even before this because there's a passage in, in, in verse 53 that's really cool. He's, Jesus is teaching this cra- these crowds and he's teaching about Abraham in the Old Testament. And then the people said this, they asked Jesus this question, are you greater than our father Abraham? That's what they're asking. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. And then they asked this question of Jesus. Who do you think you are? Has anyone ever asked you that question before? Like, who do you think you are? Husbands, if your wife has ever asked you that question, it, you're not having a great conversation, you know? That's not the kind of question that comes up like on a on your anniversary night at dinner. Like if someone says to you, who do you think you are? Like you gotta read the room and you just said something really offensive, right? Like who died and made you king, right? Who do you, th- who do you think you are? That's what they're saying to Jesus. Who do you think you are? Listen to Jesus' words. He says this, if I wanna glorify myself, it doesn't count, but it's my father who will glorify me. Oh, and they were like, you're not helping yourself here, Jesus. Look what he says. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. Oh, man. Like, Jesus is picking a fight here. He says, but I do know him, and I obey him. And then it picks up right here. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it, and he was glad. Now you could just feel like the temperature in the room starting to boil. They're like, who do you think you are? Like, what are you saying? And, and the people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you possibly say that you have seen Abraham? And then Jesus made this statement. He said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Now that's not just bad grammar. Like some of you are like, wait, didn't he mean I was? Before Abraham was even born, I was. No, he's actually using this statement, I am, this word that was first introduced to us in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is talking to God in the burning bush and Moses is saying, hey, who should I, how do I name you? What's your name? You know, God was telling him to go back to Egypt and set his people free. And, and Moses is like, all right, well, if I go, what should I tell Pharaoh? What's your name? Who are you? you ha- he, the, God of, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel, was still, still had to reveal what his name was. What's your name? Every God has a name. What's your name? And God said, I am. Tell him the I am has sent you. Now, that's actually kind of a play on words because it's, it's just the form of the verb to be. And the, the clearest way that God, an infinite God, could explain to human beings what his name was, the clearest way to say it was just to use the, one of the most fundamental verbs we have in our language, which is just to be. In Revelation, it goes like this. The, the creatures around the throne are worshiping God, and what, what are they saying? They're saying, he's the God who was, who is, and who always will be. 
And so another way to say all of that, he was, he is, he always will be. In other words, he never changes. He's self-existent. He's self-determined. He doesn't need you to name him. <laughs> he doesn't need you to validate him like we do. He, he's completely self-existent. The best way that he could explain that is just with the word to be. And so he said, my name is I am. Tell him I am has sent you. Every Jewish person would have understood that story. And so when Jesus said before Abraham was born, I am, Jesus was without a doubt claiming to be the God of the Old Testament. And I can't explain to you how offensive a thing that would have been to a Jewish person. <laughs> Who do you think you are? And Jesus answered it, I'm God. I'm the God of the Old Testament. I'm the God who revealed himself to Moses. I'm the God who revealed himself to Abraham. That's what he's saying in John 8, 58. And so at that, the people picked up stones to throw at him. They wanted to stone Jesus because it was blasphemy to claim to be equal to God. Now, if Jesus didn't mean that, he would have said, whoa, 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 oh, I'm sorry, that's not, that was bad grammar. That's not what I meant to say. Hold on, you misunderstood me. Jesus didn't correct his statement because Jesus thought he was God. So I want you to hear this. If you don't think Jesus was God, then you got a problem. You, should not, you shouldn't worship the God of the Bible. You should not be a Christian if you don't think Jesus was fully God. This is kind of what this, gets, what this gets to. Because Jesus was crazy. Like if you meet someone out there today at lunch who claims to be God, that person's crazy. Let's, could we all just admit that? That person's crazy. Or the, well, certainly the person's lying. So Jesus, that's what C.S. Lewis was saying. He's either a liar, he's crazy, or he's who he says he is. And Jesus said he's fully God. And that's what I believe because that's what the Bible teaches. So Jesus is fully God. Now, I want to close just on a real practical note. What does it matter? Who cares? And there's a couple things we're going to say, and I, I don't have control of this anymore, so you might have to help me back there. All right. So I'm trying to resolve the paradox of the Trinity by denying that Jesus is fully God. I want to just show you three examples of this. The first group that did this was called, Arian, it was called Arianism. I'm going to let you control it, because clearly, thank you. Right, I'm, going to, I'm going to err I'm going to air remote this. Arianism. Um, Arius was a leader in the early church, uh, probably a good guy. He was not a fringe leader in the early church. He was, a, he was a good, solid guy. But in the early days of the church, like we're talking 200, 300 AD, um, Arius is trying to wrap his mind around the fact that there's only one God, and yet God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all have attributes of God. And, and Arius' way of understanding it is, well, Jesus must be just, a, just not quite fully God. That's Arianism. The Council of Nicaea, 325 AD, um, put that on the table, and they said, nope, Arius, you're wrong. They marked that heresy, and the Trinitarian doctrine that, we're, that we've been teaching then was starting to be more, more fully formulated. So Arianism is heresy, and again, Arianism teaches that Jesus isn't fully God. He's like a demigod. 
That's not biblical. I'll show you why there's a problem with that here at the very end. But I want to give you two more examples that might be a little bit more modern for you to understand. Some of you might say, are there any other groups, religious groups, who, who kind of miss the deity of Christ? Yeah, Unitarianism is one. Unit, uh, if you have a Unitarian friend, I'm not trying to pick, pick on them. You can ask them. You can say, do you believe Jesus is fully God? If they understand their belief system, they would say, no, I don't believe Jesus is fully God. Or maybe more commonly understood as Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is fully God. In fact, in their translation of the Bible, in John chapter 1, where it says Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, their translation says, and their Word was a God, lowercase g. You can't do that, by the way. You can't change Scripture. I hope you've noticed this. Like, what we're trying to do is we're trying to be faithful. Our first valley at Alpine Church is to understand what God's word is. Is to We say we look to God and his word in all that we do. And so everything that we're teaching today comes from scripture. And we, don't, we can't manipulate and change scripture. We have to go to scripture and say, I'm trying to understand what you've revealed in your word. And God has revealed that Jesus is fully God in his word. All right. So here's the problem, two problems with missing this point, two problems with Arianism and Unitarianism and Jehovah's Witnesses, or all those crazies who comment on our YouTube channel and say that Jesus isn't fully God. Two problems with that. If Jesus isn't fully God, then he's not worthy of our worship. Have you noticed that we worship Jesus around here? Have you noticed in Scripture that Jesus was worshipped and Jesus didn't say, oh, whoa, stop, don't worship me, I'm not God. You know, there's a story where, where Paul shows up at this island and they start worshiping him. He's like, whoa, you can't worship me. I'm not God. Jesus never said that because Jesus is God and he's worthy of our worship. So Jesus is fully God. That's why we worship him. In fact, today we're gonna close with a song of worship and I hope you'll worship him, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But number two, and this might be even more important, if Jesus is fully God, is not fully God, then he is not able to save us. The, to me, this is where the rubber meets the road. We started this whole series with this statement. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And the reason for that is because what you believe about Jesus is the one thing that most impacts your eternity. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. We want to make sure that you're following the Jesus of the Bible. And the Jesus of the, of the Bible is fully God. And that's a good thing. Because if he wasn't fully God, then he wouldn't be able to save us. The de his death on the cross wouldn't be enough for us. See, I could say to you, hey, I want to die for you on the cross. I'm, I'm going to be a good guy. I want to die for you on the cross. Here's the problem with that. I have to die for me. <laughs> I, I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless. I'm not God. And so if I died on the cross, I have to die to pay for my own sins. But Jesus didn't have to die for his own sins because he's fully God, he's perfect, and he lived a sinless life on this earth so that when he went to the cross, his death could cover all of our sins. And the reason that that's true is because Jesus is fully God. And so he's able to save us, and that's why we worship him. Let's pray together right now. Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand this. And, and I pray for the person here today who's really trying to wrap their mind around the nature of God. And God, I pray that you would give all of us just this, this heart, this attitude, this submitted attitude that just says, I want, I want to know who you are, and I want to know what you say. And I pray, God, as we continue to look to your word, that you'd reveal yourself. 
Just like you said in your word, that the Holy Spirit reveals the secret things of God. And one of those secret things is God's nature. And so reveal yourself to us today. Lord, I pray that that would happen so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.